Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Human Experience at Work podcast. I recently had the opportunity to meet with John Hinchliffe. John is an internationally recognized digital learning expert with over 10 years in the L&D industry. This year, he won Learning Professional of the Year Silver at the LPI's Learning Award and is currently helping Franklin Covey Middle East clients effectively migrate to online learning during these challenging times. He has a big focus on assisting the L&D industry as a whole, having created a number of global best practice initiatives to encourage the distribution of knowledge within the industry. In addition to having served on the board of directors of the e-learning network. John, I'm really pleased to have you here with us today and congratulations on winning the Learning Professional of the Year Silver Award. Wonderful. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. So today I want to take the opportunity to talk about the learning trend, the importance of learning culture, and how can we be prepared for the future. But before, tell us more about the LPI Learning Award and its importance for you. Yeah, sure thing. So the LPI Learning Awards really take a focus on face-to-face and online learning that is carried out to the highest criteria, and that is internationally. So for me, I was in the category of learning professional, which really looks at both face-to-face and digital learning professionals globally who are putting in place initiatives, whether this is in academia or whether this is in organizations or both. And so for me, it was really about evidencing the great work that I've done over the past year, whereby I have helped such organizations such as the United Arab Emirates University produce their first online MOOC courses. So that was a two-year project that I completed in two months. I've helped Manchester Metropolitan University create a team and the whole processes for utilizing blended learning, so face-to-face and online learning to migrate from 28 systems to one. And also, it's been about how have I helped organizations to streamline their processes, think about resources, not courses for their people. But also, it was in recognition for the work that I do within the L&D community. So as you said, I served on the board of directors for the e-learning network, which is one of the biggest not-for-profits in the online learning industry. But in addition to that, I have a really big focus on mentoring and also providing best practice because I feel that in our industry, we have so many great thought leaders, ideas, but it's how do we have an ability to share these and people to really benefit. And so for me, I created something called hashtag one tip Wednesday on LinkedIn. And through this, this was inspired by the ice bucket challenge, whereby we give one tip, we nominate two people and they do one tip, nominate two people all happening on Wednesdays. And in the beginning, I thought this might be a couple of hundred people might view. Now this has reached over a hundred thousand views on LinkedIn and also Twitter. And it's had some incredible names from the L&D industry, such as Carl Kopp, who is pretty much the godfather of gamification, Laurie Niles Hoffman, who is incredible at data-driven learning. And it's been wonderful to really get feedback from people around the world to understand how this has really helped them in their day-to-day working lives. So for me, it was a wonderful experience to be able to provide that information to the judges you have a 15-minute presentation where you outline this, and then you have a half an hour of being grilled from four incredible industry experts. But I'm ever so pleased that they felt that this was deserving of this award, and I'm really, really proud of it. Well, that's, that's really great. And I, 
We're going to come back to the mentoring and best practice sharing. But as you mentioned, you have really a diverse background in the L&D, both from the academia as well as the corporate side. You started off as a face-to-face trainer, developed into digital learning. Many organizations in the Middle East region still look at learning as a nice-to-have, but also in the context of a traditional classroom format. What would you say are the advantages and disadvantages of both, you know, classroom face-to-face training as well as digital learning? And, and what's keeping organizations from moving into the digital direction? I think to answer that last point, what's been holding people back is I think people aren't aware of how good digital learning can be. And also, we are seeing quite a lot of individuals who are still very romantic about the idea that you only learn if you're in a face-to-face environment. So with education, that's all we've really ever known is that learning is face-to-face. It's done in a classroom. It is somebody giving knowledge one way, and that is, quote-unquote, learning. I think face-to-face does have merits. I think from providing a social learning element and being able to you know, really feel part of a community and express ideas among each other, it definitely has a place. But I think face-to-face as a standalone is not effective because you have to really think about us as human beings, we forget, we are fallible. In order to actually expect somebody to sit through a two-hour lecture and expect them to be able to remember everything, you have to really take on board that us as learners in a face-to-face environment, we are listening to the information that is being provided to us. We are comprehending that. We are filtering that for the relevant information. We're taking notes, but then at the same time, we're doing that whole process at the same time. We're listening, we're filtering, we're making notes. And also we're relying on our memory and our memory is, it plays tricks on us. I speak to people who are professionals in neuroscience and the ability for our memory to put in place things that are not accurate is incredible. So it's if we are doing face-to-face, how can we utilize digital as well to provide people with refreshers, with resources, with the information that they need to either be refreshing on the information or just clarity? Now, digital has the wonderful ability to be of low cost, accessible at any time, but also it allows you to separate from traditional learning. Traditional learning is mainly focusing on courses. So you do a course at a particular time and that's it. It's a one-off learning experience. But we don't learn as human beings from one-off learning experiences. We learn through continuous learning and having that repetition. So by having digital resources, we're able to provide it to people when they need it, how they need it, but also in modalities that are engaging to them. So whether this is a podcast such as this, whether it's a video, whether it's an article, if you think about how we have evolved as human beings, if we want an answer to a solution now, we go to Google, we go to YouTube. We don't particularly plan in a one-day face-to-face course. So digital does have those benefits, but also it's how do we do digital well? So how do we make it bite-sized? How do we make it engaging? How do we also make people aware of it, but also how do we allocate it to people's skills? From the experience that I've had, Blended is one of the most prominent parts that we have out here, whereby we have a higher possibility of success because people do really value face-to-face. But it's also 
taking into account that people are going to forget, how can we incorporate digital to help them maybe shorten that time of the face-to-face and have those digital assets that people can take them when they need them. Maybe even flip that learning so that they can understand at the beginning and your slower learners can catch up to your fast learners before the face-to-face begins. So I think face-to-face, it's great for that social. It's great for being able to ask questions there and then. But obviously we have to take into account that we're human. But then also digital, this can be great, but obviously it's getting people engaged. And also digital can be done bad. So it's how do you look at best practices? Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. And you touched upon, you know, the lifelong learning uh, and, you know, the continuous learning. And this has been a key trend in HR uh, that has been growing over the past couple of years. Uh, I think we see from the evolving world of work how it is creating a clear demand for new skills and capabilities. But sometimes with the tightening of the labor market, it's making it challenging for organizations to find or hire uh, the skills needed. Or even if you think about it, when you have a pandemic like that, I'm unable you know, to fly in uh, people to come here. Hopefully things will open up soon. But Clearly, there is a need for organizations to change the way people learn and develop new needed skills. So you touched upon learning culture. I want to hear your perspective on how important you think this is for business continuity and sustainability. I think organizations need to understand that if they don't evolve, then they will die. So as an organization, they will become extinct. They will not have a place. We have seen this with such things as Blockbuster Video, who were adamant that people watching films on their TVs would never catch on. We as organizations, whether this is a Fortune 500 or whether this is academia, whether this is a small shop, we have to really re-engineer for digital. So we had to look at what is going on. So look at the world outside. Where are people consuming the products that you have? And how do you need to evolve to meet those? So re-engineer, so understand what does the future potentially hold and what are the skills that are required for those? Now, being able to actually incorporate this within your organization, you really have to understand that your workforce is your product, is your lifeline. So understanding how do you align people to what you need to do? So your KPIs, so your key performance indicators, who within your organization could require a little bit of training in order to meet those. But also it's about looking at what is out there in the market that could potentially help you evolve your learning culture. So learning was very much focused previously on you were given a set date when you would do learning, but people want things now. They want to be able to access things now at the point of need. So is it that you need to evolve your actual infrastructure of learning? Is it that you need a learning experience platform in order to allow people to be able to access the skills, to be able to upskill a point when they need to? It's really about looking at what is your end goal? Because I keep on saying reverse engineering, but if we as organizations don't know where we're going to go, how can you understand how you're going to get there with the skills internally? So I think it's as an organization, it's very much working with either your internal L&D department or an external L&D organization to understand what are you trying to create as an organization? How are you trying to evolve? What are the skills that are going to be required? And then what resources can you utilize in order to make that happen? 
But in addition to that, how can you help your employees understand why? Why are they doing this? This isn't just for you being profitable. It's how are you making them a better individual? So I think that's a really big focus at the moment. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. I think there should be something in it for everyone. On one side, for the individual to develop and keep his skills and his competencies, how do you say, uh, relevant, uh, but also for the business to build those skills for the future. And it's very important to link you know, the, the learning also to the individual, because you know we all have different skills, we have different capabilities, it's not one size fits all. Um, but in the context of that, uh, you know, learning uh, experience that you mentioned, we hear a lot about now recently about the employee experience being such an important focus and within that creating those great learning experiences. And if you think about it in the context of a diverse multi-generational workforce, um, what does it mean? What does creating a learning experience mean for organizations? And what are the key ingredients for success in your view? I think for me, there is really kind of two key points. So I think the first one is, do you have learning that is useful and provides the desired results? But then also, do you have a learning experience that is memorable? So if I think about useful and provides results, I have a big focus on data. So data-driven learning. So how do we understand how many people are utilizing our learning? So looking on our LMS, our learning experience platforms, the learning that we've created, how many people are actually learning from that learning? And what are the end outcomes from that? If you look at such things as BP, British Petroleum, they previously had all their courses placed on a learning management system and no one accessed because it was long courses, maybe 30 to one hour long, and it was not really focused on. It wasn't really promoted. So what they actually did was they talked to their employees. They asked them, what do they need? And what they said was, we just need answers. We have questions and we need answers. So what they did was they made short content that was available on an internal site. There was um, very streamlined process in order to actually access it and it just provided people with answers when they needed it all of a sudden the actual usage of that exploded and it became one of the most popular sites that they had within the organization because it gave people what they want when they needed it it became the google of learning so being useful and providing the desired results when we think about resources a resource is something that is short is sharp is easy to access and it provides an answer. And the learning experience has really come into the part of how easy is it to get the answer to what I need? When you think about what's the difference between taking a taxi and an Uber, an Uber is a streamlined service. I can be anywhere in Dubai, I can click where I am, I can select the type of car, and within a few seconds, I've got a taxi. But if I wanted a traditional taxi, I have to find one, which could take however long, depending on the day and depending on where I am. And then it's just a longer process. I have to get my wallet out. I have to pay for it. Whereas with Uber, it's the streamlined service. So think about how is that learning experience streamlined? But then also, I talk about memorable. One of the best pieces of learning I've ever seen and actually heard was 
an anti-fraud course that was done through a podcast-driven resources. So this was storytelling. And so with this particular subject, it can be quite dry. You might want to talk about rules and regulations and make people remember those things. But by putting it in a podcast form, which podcasts are huge right now, you know, and this brings us back to looking at the market. What is going on with the market? So this was created by Kath Ellis over in Australia. And she looked at creating a podcast that was engaging, that had a story. And it really talked the learners through an individual, a case study that was created. There was fake news articles being produced. And it was an immersive experience. And so it's something so unique. And the actual engagement with that was incredible because people wanted to find out what happened at the end of the story. So being able to have these resources that are continuous, that are easy to access, for me, that really provides you with a great learning experience. And it really makes people want to access these in the future. Yeah, I, I really like the analogy with the, with the Uber and the traditional taxi. Um, and I couldn't, you know, agree more on the data-driven learning. I think, you know, today we have the opportunity with the LMS uh, platforms and solutions to really measure the impact of our learning, to make it relevant, to understand what is working and what is not working, and to swiftly, you know, make decisions that will have an impact to the business. And in the same way, you know, how do you make those uh, learning experiences, engaging, memorable, um, unique. I think you're spot on there. And, and thanks for sharing your view. And we've seen, you know, recently during the COVID-19 crisis, how a lot of companies had to quickly uh, change their learning behaviors, which was good. It re a lot of them uh, had to, as you've mentioned, uh, at the beginning of our conversation that you've seen a lot of uh, increase in demand for e-learning throughout the crisis because they needed to uh, utilize the time to upskill or reskill their employee to be utilized in other parts of the business where there is an increase in demand. So this is great and it serves the purpose. But where do you see this going from here? From your interactions with various organizations in the region, in the Middle East, what do you think are the trends that organizations will be looking at have a real step change in their learning culture? I think I've seen during this time, there's been two big uh, train of thoughts. So there has been those organizations that have seen that people have worked from home and so they need a filler. And so now is the time to learn. And so they've dumped a lot of learning on them. And then you have the flip side where you see organizations that have taken a little bit of time, not made a knee-jerk reaction, and really looked at, okay, so this is a time whereby we can develop our people. Let's actually spend time understanding our people. What skills have they wanted to develop for the past six months, 12 months? And also, what, what skills might they want to develop for the future? So now we're looking more digital. What potentially could help them? And also, what providers could help them? So is it that they are looking at particular platforms or is it that it's something that they could do best practice sharing together? So you have subject matter experts within your organization. Can they do a 20-minute uh, Zoom meeting whereby people talk to each other and they really share best practices? So I think it's really now about looking at what do you need your skills to be within your organization, but also how can you provide value to your people? 
So it's not just making people learn for the sake of learning. It's how can I enrich their role, but also enrich their lives. I think it's having a clear understanding of where do you want to go and communicating that to people. I think people understanding the why, because if you simply tell somebody to do something without a reason, you're not really going to have the buy-in from them. Whereas if you are taking the time to communicate with them, why will this be beneficial for them? How is it going to help the organization? Because in the long run, job security as well is one thing that people really need to focus on. So if they can personally help the organization be successful and play their part, then it's a bonus for everyone. I think one big thing to really focus at the moment is looking at instructional design. So a lot of organizations have placed what was face-to-face content purely online and just taking it just a straight flip. But the problem is that to do online learning effectively, there actually needs to be thought processes. There needs to be pedagogically actual reasoning behind what you've created. And so I think for organizations, it's really looking at how do they take what they have done as version one and now look at version two to really help embed the learning that they want. So I think it's really looking at instructional design. How do you break that content down? How do you make it engaging for the learners? But also, how do you look at the data that you have from this period? I've spoken to a few organizations that are covering multiple brands. And because they've been able to take this more centered approach for the learner, they've had 400 times more engagement on their learning management system. But organizations that have simply pushed things to individuals have seen a reduction in the amount of use on the LMS because people have peaked very soon and then had fatigue from it. So it's really looking at the data. Is those planning people's development? But also it could be that you start creating learning campaigns and you really have a focus on those and you promote those well internally. You create visibility. And you also look at how can you utilize influencers within your organization to really promote these and make these a success. Thank you, John. That was uh, really interesting insights. I wanted to go back to something you mentioned at the beginning around mentoring and best practice sharing and just connected a little bit to uh, the topic of, um, you know, instructional design. When you mentor, uh, you know, others, in what context, you know, do you, do you provide that mentoring? Do you go down to the level of Uh, you know, helping them understand how to structure their learning and how, you know, to bring, you know, those or to break down those learning into smaller pieces. Can you elaborate a little bit more on this mentoring uh, support? Yeah, sure. So with mentoring, I have quite a lot of people that reach out to me who are very early in their instructional design career. They could be teachers, they could be face-to-face trainers, and they really want to look into digital And so I have people reach out to me and say, could I please have some mentoring? So what will take place is I will have an initial chat to understand where are they and what are their experience? And also what are they passionate about? So do they have more of a focus on the development side? Because instructional design really can be broken down into two areas. You have the instructional design and the instructional development. The instructional design is very much that analysis of what is it that you're going to create? Who is the organization? Who are your learners? What are you needing to create to meet their needs? Then the design. So actually creating that, maybe it is storyboards, maybe it is a version one within an authoring tool. 
but it's also designing that learning experience. So how is somebody going to access this? How is it going to be intuitive? How is it going to be easy for them? So it's very much understanding where are they and also understanding how much support do they need. Now for me, I've created a, a short course for my mentees because I was repeatedly answering a lot of the same questions. And so it made sense for me to book two hours out of my time on a weekend and record videos that were around two minutes long on the different areas and really going through what is the ADDI model. So this focuses on analysis, design, development, implementation, and evaluation. And breaking down my thoughts, my experience with those, but then also curating content from sources that I found throughout the years that I found to be incredibly insightful and really useful. So whether this is a site that provides them with free graphics and free audios, whether this is a podcast that has really enlightened me to think about how do we utilize resources and also how storytelling can be incredibly useful to a learner. So it's really bringing that together and also asking them about where are they wanting to go? So what are they looking to become? And also it's guidance on how do they find those roles? Is it that it is they're currently in a job and that they go part-time with their current job and that they go part-time as a freelancer? Is it that they go whole hog and that they are currently unemployed and that they look to become a full-time instructional designer? So it's really looking at what are the needs that they're going to have with regards to that requirement. And then setting in place a structure of when we're going to touch base, how much support I can actually provide, because that's another thing is with a mentor, you can't always expect them to be available whenever you want, because we have busy lives. So it's about looking at that structure. What are their resources? Sending them off with tasks to complete and really pushing from there. And I'm so very proud of the results that my mentees have had. I have had one particular mentee, she had a number of courses online for Reiki therapy, and she was a Reiki master. When she came to me, she had four learners because it was currently in the form of just eBooks that were very static, black and white, nothing really engaging. So we looked at who were her customer base. How could she compete? Who were the competitors? What did she need to create? Then we looked at project management. What was she going to produce? When was she going to produce it? What technology did she need? And from that, she produced. And now she has over 8,000 students in 124 countries. And it's just a wonderful success. And I'm very proud of them. That's really a great story. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners might take you up on that mentoring offer. But maybe to conclude, um, I'm sure really this is going to be valuable. I've had great mentors throughout my career. And I think without them, I wouldn't have reached also where I am today. So really value the importance of mentorship. So maybe to conclude, John, how do you see the corporate learning evolving in the future? And what would be your advice or recommendation for organizations in our region, in the Middle East, to do now in order to be future ready? I think for me, I have really three main recommendations. So the first one, Focus on resources to answer questions, to develop your people at the point of need. We have for so long focused on people needing to have great memory. So when we think about academia, this was, we have never been taught how to learn. We've never learned how to learn. 
and then throughout academia and then through to organizations, this is pretty much taken as a given that we should be able to be able to memorize. But the fact is, you know, as I've said, we're fallible. So how do we provide answers to the questions that people have at particular times within their role, whether it is something as simple as how do I request a day off rather than it being an email to a particular individual or potentially getting misinformation from others. In addition to this, I think something that is so critical to that is making the learner experience and the user experience as efficient and effective as possible. So where is this information housed? Where are your people currently? So where are they looking? Where are they interacting with internally? And how can you place that information that they need in an easy to access set of resources? And resources really are those short, sharp answers that provide people with the information and the answers that they need when they need them. And then finally, I think it's really about sharing best practice, especially during these times. We've had people that have really thrived, but also people that have barely survived. So it's how can you utilize internally influencers, people who are subject matter experts, in order to share best practices. So utilize those resources, utilizing the tools that you have internally and making people aware of where this information is. So having learning campaigns and just making sure that people are aware, they understand the reason why these are available to them, and also being open to listening to those people and understanding from them what do they need and being proactive in helping them with that. I think by helping our people evolve, that helps our business evolve, and in the end, that helps you survive. Thank you, John. I really, really loved, uh, you know, listening to your thoughts, to the insight. I really appreciate, you know, how you're assisting the L&D industry as a whole. And, you know, this whole uh, initiative around mentoring and global best practice sharing, uh, I think it's really helpful to the L&D community and the HR community as a whole uh, in our region. So um, thank you for being with us again. My pleasure. And this is Nelly Bustani, and you've been listening to Human Experience at Work. Thank you so much for tuning in, listening, and leaving your reviews. And stay tuned for more to come to hear about different perspectives from our guest speakers on bringing human experience at work to life.